this with me. All right. So the verse is Mark 6, 35. Mark 6, 35. After we read the, uh, the opening verse, I'll have you sit down. You're not going to be standing the whole time. I'm the only person who has to stand for the next 35 minutes. All right. Okay, so let's set this scene. Where are we? What's happening in the Bible? Jesus and his disciples are going throughout the country. They're healing the sick. They're opening up blind eyes. And much like you and me, they came to a deserted place where they were tired. Any parents in the house know about coming home after a long day at work? You have your Chick-fil-A in your car. You just tarry just a little bit in the driveway before you go into the chaos. That's what the disciples and Jesus were doing. Let's pick up at verse 35. When the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place and already the hour is late. It's midnight, Jesus. <laughs> Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread for they have nothing to eat. Verse 37 says this, but he answered and said to them, you give them something to eat. As I was preparing this message, the Lord illuminated verse 37. He said, Patrick, I'm empowering you. I'm empowering V1 Church to give them something to eat. I find sometimes it's so easy for us to wait on Pastor Mike, for us to wait on the church to fix the problems that God has put in us to be a solution for. That loved one who's struggling with mental health, you give them something to eat. You give them hope. That person who you can share the gospel with, don't wait until we get into the building. You are the church. Guys, this whole message is going to be my life. This is what Jesus has jacked me up with for the last two months preparing this message. This is the journey that I've been through. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? I feel like the disciples were asking Jesus a rhetorical question. They said, master, you know, we left everything, including our money and our wallets and our bank account to follow you. We don't have 200. How are we going to feed these people? Verse 38 says, but he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. I'll talk about myself. Sometimes I feel like I have to have it all together for God to use me. Here in verse 38, God is saying, I don't really care what you have. What I care about is what do you do with what you have? Theologians say that it was a young boy who had the five loaves and two fish. My question is, there's over 10,000 people on that hillside listening to Jesus. What was it about that young boy's obedience that attracted one of the greatest miracles of multiplication? Surely other people had food. He wasn't the only one who had Chick-fil-A and waffle fries and a drink. There were other people there. The title of this message is From Obedience to Blessing. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, you're here already. You've spoken through worship. God, you're here to remove and change our life in a way that we could have never imagined. God, our hearts are open. God, speak through me to your people. God, we want to make a lasting impact with our finances and go from obedience to blessing. In your name we pray. Amen. You guys can take a seat. Take a seat. So I've told that I have three hours to preach this message, so get tight. I don't have three hours. I thought I had three hours. They said this is the last service. <laughs> okay, who here remembers the first car that they purchased? 
Okay, who here wants to forget the first car that they, I, I know I do. I remember one of the first vehicles that I purchased was a silver 2005 Volkswagen Jetta. To me, you could not tell me that wasn't a Ferrari. You couldn't tell me it wasn't a Lamborghini. It was my vehicle. I remember I went from Maryland with my brother to Virginia to go to an auction. I don't know about you guys, but I wasn't buying it off a dealer lot. We were going to an auction to the gently used vehicles, right? The ones that had been driven by seven people and recalled seven times. That's where my budget was. So I'm going through the auction lot, and it's like this Disney moment. I'm looking off into the sunset. All the rest of the cars are black, and just this one Volkswagen Jetta. The light illuminates. I look at my brother. I said, Stephen, that's it. That's going to be my vehicle. So we go over. We talk to the dealer. We say, tell us about this vehicle. And you know dealers. They'll sell you anything. They'll (laughs) sell you anything. It doesn't matter. So he's like, okay, it has 145,000 miles. It's had 12 owners, but this car is for you. I look at my brother. I was like, this is for me. This is the favor of God on my life. This car has been waiting for me. So I get on the phone and I call my dad. Why did I call my dad? Because he was paying for the car. I said, hey, dad, I found the car of my dreams. He said, okay, Patrick, what type of car is it? I mumbled under my breath and told him. He said, can you speak up? I said, it's a Volkswagen Jetta. He said, Patrick, that car has been recalled from 2005 to 2008. Do not buy that car. And like every obedient son, I said, hey, dad, you don't know what you're talking about. I just bought it. I'm on the way home. 20 minutes into my drive from Virginia to Maryland, it all came crashing down. The dashboard lit up like a Christmas tree. Green lights, red lights, yellow lights. I know some of you guys drive your cars like that on a regular basis. That is not normal. The engine starts smoking. I pull over to the side. I call my dad. He says, I told you so. Told you not to purchase that vehicle. I said, dad, it's okay. We're going to fix it. It's just a minor inconvenience. Every, dad, my, every day my dad walked past that car, he shook his head. Matter of fact, the oil was dripping out of the car. He said, you have to park that on the street. Do not get my driveway dirty. One thing turned into another. The air conditioning died in the middle of a Maryland summer. I was the person who was supposed to take my grandmother to church. I pick up my grandmother and we sweat out of all of our clothes before we get into church. I said, this is where I got to stop. I cannot have grandma getting a heat stroke. But you know what I found out in that moment? Many times we're like that with our finances. Like I was in that moment where I disregarded what my dad said, the instructions that he gave me about the vehicle. We find ourselves in that same situation when the word of God tells us how to handle our finances. We say that's good, but I think I have a better way. And what happens is we find ourselves like me on the side of the road, calling for help, bitter, angry, when all we had to do was follow the instructions that God laid out. This message is not gonna be technical analysis of the market. I'm not gonna tell you the hot stock tip of the day. I'm gonna tell you my story. And what it was like to go from obedience to blessing. The trials, the tribulations, the highs, the lows. Because at the end of the day, God is asking for obedience from all of us. All right, take some notes. Pen, paper, iPhone, however you decide. The first step from going from obedience to blessing is that tithing is non-negotiable. 
I'll say that again. Tithing is non-negotiable. Now, you may have invited a friend here today, and now they're clutching their purse and their wallet like, oh my gosh, this guy is going to take three offerings. They're going to close the door. They're going to shake me down for money. No, we're going to talk about what God is requiring from us. What is a tithe? The tithe is 10%. Not just any 10%, right? Can I pay my bills, my mortgage? Can I go pay BG&E and then I give to God the rest? No. A tithe is the first 10% of what you bring in. Matter of fact, God honors the first. He honors when you prioritize obedience with him above everything else. You see, what I found was that tithing was a test. When I got my first job at Wendy's, it's an illustrious organization, amazing. And I got my first $350 check. I brought the check home and I avoided my dad for two weeks. He was like, Patrick, did you get paid? You've been working for three weeks. What job do you work at? Here's why I was avoiding him. Because I knew he would ask, did I tithe? And I knew that he didn't care about Jordans as much as I did. But what I found growing up in a pastor's house, being in church more than Jesus was in church, some of you will get that later, I found out that I had a a head knowledge of tithing, right? I knew what I was supposed to do, but it hadn't seeped into my heart. I had a disconnect between what I was doing at Wendy's and where Jesus fit in that picture. I remember driving home like, Jesus is not flipping patties and getting yelled at and having to make large whoppers. Like, where does Jesus fit into the picture? Can I tell you here today, if this is the only thing that you get from this message, God cares about your finances. He cares about how you handle it. Malachi chapter 3 verse 8 says this, will a man rob God? That's a heavy start. Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. Nine is, is tough. It says you are cursed with a curse. I'm not sure what else you can be cursed with, but that's pretty clear. You're cursed with a curse. For you have robbed me in this whole nation. Even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing, that there will not be room enough to receive it. Guys, you see that process? If we don't tithe, our finances are cursed. If we do tithe, God said, I'm going to throw open the windows of heaven in your life. And not just financially. And those breakthroughs that you've been travailing and praying to God about that you haven't seen move in years. I wonder, is it that we may not be passing that test? See, the the way that God operates is that he tests us and you are not able to move to the next step until you pass that test. V1 Church, my question to you, sitting here in this seat, as you go home, what grade would you guys give yourself in the test of tithing? That's a heavy question. When I got that Wendy's check and I bought those Jordans, that was the question that the Lord asked me. Patrick, how are you doing with the money I gave you? Are you tipping and not tithing? Are you giving when it's convenient? Or are you obedient to what I've asked you to do? 
I find, I, I meet with clients and I talk to people who are in church who are believers and they get so caught up in the 10%. Like, Patrick, is inflation. Uh, I can't afford to tithe. It's not as easy as you make it out to be. You know what I tell them? Change your mentality around tithing. If you focus and you obsess over the 10%, you've missed the entire picture. Why? Because 100% of what we have is given to us by God. The 10% is about obedience. But the 90% is about everything else that God is doing in your life. See, Matthew 6.21 says this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be. I feel this exact analogy. When I get a new car and my kids get in and they drop goldfish into the bottom of it, I said, that's not your treasure. Your heart is not in my vehicle. You could care less. But that's what God's asking. Where's your heart? Is it focused on him? Is it focused on obedience? Are there other things that have creeped in? Self-reliance, greed, selfishness. Guys, we have to realign ourselves to what God is calling us to do. I'll end with this for the first point. I haven't said this in any other message. You guys get this one for free. Before you clap, don't clap yet because it's kind of (laughs) hard. God's not looking for our opinion. He's looking for our obedience. Not saying you can't question God. Not saying you can't have a conversation with him. But at the end of the day, he's looking for you to be obedient. He's not looking for your opinion, but this, but my friend does this. They don't tithe 10%. That has nothing to do with you. What is called, what God called you to do. And that's what you're going to be held responsible for. All right. First point, tithing is non-negotiable. Don't throw me out. I know it's a heavy point. It's going to get better. So we talked about the 90. I'm sorry, we talked about the 10%. And now we have 90% left. What do we do with the other 90% to continue to attract the favor and the blessing of God? See, like I said, I talk with a lot of Christians and a lot of people who profess Christ as their Lord and Savior, and they tithe. And I check back with them in a year, two years, three years, and they're in the same financial position that I saw them. Matter of fact, they're, they're in a space of bitterness because they feel like they've been biblically following what God has said to do, but they haven't seen any favor in their finances. Why? Because they're not stewarding the other 90%. The second point is steward your finances. What is stewardship? Stewardship is looking at what the Lord has given you. And by the way, I know this is a financial message. It's not just about finances. Are you stewarding your marriage? Are you stewarding your family? This one's going to hit me close to home. Are you stewarding your body? Ouch. Do you work out? Do you eat clean? This is something that I'm working on. It's not just about your finances. Are you stewarding the vessel, the life, the body that God has given you? A familiar story that we all know, we find it in Matthew 25. It is the parable of the servants, right? There's a master. He gives three different servants three different amounts. I would liken this to my dad. Before he left for work, he would say, hey, I'm giving you $10. I'm giving you $5. I'm giving you $1. What are you going to do with it? We know that the first servant, he doubled his money, and he gave back the master double what he had. The second did the same. But that third servant took what he had, his $1, and he buried it. 
under the ground in fear of losing it. I said, God, why did you bring this verse to me? He said, Patrick, tell V1 Church, it doesn't matter what you start with. You may look at your neighbor and say, oh, they have five talents. They make more money than me. They had a, a, a better start than me. Their parents were wealthy. What about me? God's not looking at where you, where you start. He's not looking at what you have. He's looking at what do you do with what he's given you. When we get to heaven, I believe God's going to ask us that question. Patrick, V1, I gave you people. Did we turn them into souls? I gave you that job. Did you clock in and clock out and never make a difference? This is the only thing that you talk to your boss about is your performance report or what you're doing on the job. Did you ever share your faith? I think about going to heaven and saying, Lord, I'm a millionaire. He said, Patrick, but I had 10 million inside of you. But you did not steward what I gave you. See, when we're looking at stewardship, it's hard when we're looking through the lens of just for us. My family's okay. My kids are going to college. I paid off debt. We're good. And the Lord's asking you, but what about the people that you don't see that I'm sending to you? What about that single mom who's looking for support, for help? She's working three jobs. She comes to you and tells you her story. And you say, I'll pray for you. Now, I'm not minimizing prayer, but what if you could be that answered prayer in action? What if you can dig into your wallet and say, hey, Here's six months, and we'll pay for your kid's school, and here's grocery money. None of that happens unless we steward the finances that God has put in our life. So let's get practical. Let's get super practical. Somebody say, let's get practical. What are some things that I can do to steward my finances? Number one, write this down. Don't roll your eyes when you hear it. Number one is live on a budget. Say that. Live on a budget. See, I wish I had you guys in the first four months of my marriage to remind me because me and my wife, we did not live on a budget. Matter of fact, many people would say the way we spent money was akin to a drug dealer or a rapper or whatever image you have of somebody who is frivolously spending money. Correct me if I'm wrong, babe. I think every single night we went out to eat. Not even joking. We traveled. We purchased things. Matter of fact, it was so bad, we went to restaurants, uh, and we would get an appetizer, we would get a main course, we would get a dessert. And I was feeling so bold that I would tell the waiter, I'll take whatever drink I want. I'm not going to ask, is it free refills? Don't judge me, I know you all do that, where you ask for free refills because you're looking at your bank account. Guys, we were out of control. It all came crashing down one day when I look for toilet paper. Now, in the pandemic, you know, you couldn't find toilet paper anywhere. This was pre-pandemic. I reached out to my wife and said, Wife, uh, wh- where is, where's the toilet paper? She says, we don't have any. I said, okay, no problem. We'll DoorDash or we'll do Target pickup. I look at my bank account and there's not enough money to buy one roll of toilet paper. It hit me like a bag of bricks. Some of you may be asking, Patrick, did you turn your life around? Did you, did you start budgeting? Absolutely not. I wasn't at my lowest yet. Me and my wife, we hop into our car. We head down I-95 towards our parents' house. Please don't judge me. You did the same thing. So we throw on our ski mask, throw our hood on, 
punch in the code to the garage with our trash bag, and we'd go Costco shopping in our parents' garage. Matter of fact, my parents and in-laws are here today. I don't know if they knew that. They're probably going to install cameras and change the garage passcode right after this. What happened? Because we did not budget our money, we now had to rely on someone else to fulfill the needs that God had already provided for us. What I didn't tell you is that we were double income, no kids, and no common sense. This came on the back end of us paying off our debt. We owed no man anything and we were still living in a place of lack. So just because you get out of debt doesn't mean that you're managing your finances well. I lived it. That's the first step. But it put us in a position where we were relying on someone else. What's more important than that is that we were no longer positioned to be able to a bless to be a blessing to other people. I wonder if in that moment God had to go to other people who were more prepared to do his work on earth. That's heavy. Luke 14 says this, for which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish. All who see it begin to mock him, saying this man began to build and was not able to finish. Not only do we forfeit what God could do in our life, we become a laughing stock. Not going to touch on that. We're going to leave that right there. Point number two, get out of debt. These are probably the first two hard points. Get out of debt. We've commercialized debt. We've talked about, okay, how can I do it to raise my credit score? Uh Uh-oh. How can I maximize it to do this, to do that? Proverbs 22.7 says, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is slave or servant to the lender. You're playing a credit score game, but the Bible says that you're actually a slave. I don't know about you, but I'm not a slave. I'm not a slave. But the Bible says if you are a borrower, you're a servant. See, I knew a little bit about this coming into my marriage because my wife, she was debt free. I had 30000 that I brought with me, some parking tickets, a little bit of credit card, a little bit of student loans. It was like, kind of like a jambalaya of debt. <laughs> but what I also understand is the shame that came with that. Patrick, you're a man. You're supposed to be leading your family. But you have the debt. You're slowing down your financial plans. Of course, God didn't say that. That was Satan. That was the devil. We went through the process of getting right. We got on a budget. We paid off our debt. We became debt-free. But what I'm here to tell you, if you don't get anything from this message, God is calling you to break generational curses in the space of debt in your family. Some of you do not know one person that they can point to, family, friend, or foe, who does not owe anything. See, God has called us to change generational cycles that have been going on for years and years. Why can't you sit down with your kids and say, hey, we don't owe anything. Every dollar we bring into this house, we own. And we will honor God with our finances. Number two, get out of debt. Number three, it gets a little bit better. Prepare for emergencies. We're in the middle of a pandemic, and I'll tell you what's not an emergency. Uh, My job's stressful. My kids are stressing me out. I got to get out of the house. Let's go to Cabo. No, sounds great, but that's not an emergency. 
Gentlemen, if you golf, you want to get a, a new pair of golf clubs. One, it's not the golf club. It's not going to help your game. That's not an emergency. What is an emergency? How do we prepare for it? It's things that we could have never seen coming, i.e. a pandemic that we're two years into. Did you see that? Because I didn't hear anybody talking about a pandemic that was going to change everything and, and change everything the way that we did. I'll read this directly from my notes. If you prepare for emergencies, it turns a bad situation into a minor inconvenience. You ever had something happen in your life when you didn't have any money in the bank and it blew way out of proportion? Your tire blew out and you're just like, it's over for me, I'm going to lose my job, everybody hates me. You start sensationalizing because you realize that you're not in a position to be able to handle the emergencies that come your way. I think what I've seen in my own life is that preparation for emergency is not unbiblical. Some people say, oh, the Lord will cover me. He'll take care of me when that situation comes. No, he's given us wisdom and he's given us knowledge to be able to not just prepare for where we are now, but for what's happening in the future. My prayer for all of you is that you never have to touch your emergency fund. That's great. But I've lived enough life to know that it rains on the just and the unjust alike. You're either going into a storm or you're coming out of one. I dare say preparing for emergency is life or death. Number four, invest for your future. This is what I love. I'm a financial advisor. I love growing money. What I found was investing for your future is so important because you don't know what your future holds. What if God has positioned you in a way to be a blessing to thousands of people and you're so inwardly focused like that one talent servant, I'm going to take my income, I'm going to put it in my savings, I'm going to bury it. I'm not going to invest it in myself, into my business, into knowledge, into other people. See, God is requiring us to grow what he's given us. Diligence now will lead to blessings in the future. Write that down. Diligence now will lead to blessings in the future. Investing provides multi-generational blessings. Some of you in this room dream to be a blessing to your kids' kids as the Bible talks about. You will not get there until you invest for your future. Investing is planning for the work that God's going to do through you that you don't even see. If you're in this room and your bills are paid and your family's okay, that's great. Do not fall prey to complacency. Invest for your future. The last one. I wish you guys were here to tell me this, that this should not have been the first thing in our life, but it was for me and my wife. Number five is enjoy the blessings of God. We were enjoying more than we should. We took this entire thing out of order. You may be asking, Patrick, okay, is this, is this numerical for a reason? Absolutely. Please don't jump to step five and expect God to bless you. Don't start at step three and then get mad why it's not working. Step five, enjoy, step five, enjoy the blessings of God. Growing up in a pastor's family, interacting with Christians, I started noticing that people were scared or ashamed of the blessings that God was bringing into their life, specifically in the area of finances. They would buy a new car and they would park it out back in the church. I don't want the saints to know that I just purchased a new car. What are you hiding for? They bought a new house and they wouldn't tell anybody. They would never have any events. They wouldn't do anything. Why? Because they were ashamed. They felt evil for being wealthy. They felt evil for blessing their family and the people around them. Do you think God brought that wealth into your life for you to cover it like a lamp? 
What if the financial breakthrough that you experience is something that someone else needs to hear for their freedom? I told you guys my story. I went from Wendy's to now being in a position where I own my own business. If I started there and kept that to myself, what if God was leading another business owner who needed to hear that? What if you purchasing a new home would raise somebody else's faith to believe God on a level that they couldn't before? We get so inwardly focused. I don't want people to know that I'm wealthy. It's not about you. Get over yourself. Nice car, nice home, nice clothes. Get over yourself. Enjoy the blessings of God. Then the last point, point three, is give beyond yourself. Give beyond yourself. I feel like this whole message has been story time about my marriage, so we're just going to keep it going. First year of my marriage, me and my wife uh, were sitting in church, and our pastor said, hey, we want to give an offering to be able to build what God is doing here in our local church. He said, I want you to pray, hear, and obey. So me and my wife, we got together. We started praying. I said, babe, you hear a number, I'll hear a number, and then we'll come in the middle. God can speak to both of us. So we got together. I gave her my number, and her face didn't change. I'm like, oh, am I higher than you? Like, what? What? She was like, um, no, my number I heard uh, was a little different from what you heard, Patrick. I was like, okay, spit it out. And uh, the number that she told me, um, I almost passed out. I'll be honest with you guys. My, my knees got weak. I started, started sweating. I was like, whoa, who are you hearing from? Because I thought I heard from God, which that's crazy. So I was like, okay, that's fine. Let's go back into prayer. I started praying, fully expecting God to say, Patrick, you're right. Your wife, she was a little bit off. It was a Taco Bell from last night. She's off. But what I heard clearly was the Holy Spirit saying, your wife is spot on. That's the number you should give. And like any man of God, I tarried for the next two to three days, knowing that I had heard from God, expecting to hear something else. And guess what? Every morning I woke up, I heard the same thing. And it got louder. And what I heard was stop wasting your time. Do what I told you to do. So I come back to my wife tail between my legs saying, you're right, you got it. We'll go with your number. So she wrote the check because if I wrote it, the tears streaming down my face would ruin the check. And I don't think the church could cash it at that point. But we walked up together to the front of the stage, similar to this, and we put our check into the basket. I'm not going to tell you that I had some amazing requests from heaven, like, God, you're going to do this in my life. You're going to heal. You're going to bring financial growth. That's not where I was. Guys, when when God calls you to be obedient, you don't have to have it all together. You don't have to be super spiritual. You just have to be obedient. And all I knew in that moment was be obedient. Listen to what God is telling you to do. So we put the check down. I got in the car. And for the next two weeks, the devil attacked our mind. First, it started with fear. Did I actually hear from God? Did I miss the mark? From there, it went into anxiety. I was like, okay, I think I heard from the Lord, but I got to make up the difference. I got to get another job. I got to go take risk in some area. I got to make up the decision that I feel like I made. See, I want to debunk some myths. Giving beyond yourself is not easy. When God calls you to give, it's never as simple as we think it is. Fast forward the story. And it's the last weekend of the, uh, of the year. 
So we go into church, we worship, we listen to the message, and we walk out. And right before we leave, a couple comes and grabs our arm and said, hey, we have two cards for you. Can you please wait until you get to the car to open it? So we go to the car, we open up the envelopes, and out falls two checks. So we pick up the checks because we know we're broke, so we're like, how much is on it? It was exactly two times the amount that we had given two weeks prior. Why is that important? Because we didn't tell anybody what God had laid on our heart. I knew, my wife knew, and the Lord knew. The couple who blessed us had no idea that we had cleaned out our bank account two weeks prior off of one word of what God told us to do. As I was sitting in the car with my wife, fighting back tears, I heard God say, Patrick, you can never outgive me. Patrick, I saw when you were obedient two weeks ago with your wife. I saw you heed my voice. Did you think that I was going to have you begging? Now, my miracle, our financial miracle was just that financial, but that may not be what you need from God. You may need a healing. You may have battled with something in your body from birth. You may have a sibling, a parent who you're estranged with, and you've given up on that relationship. What is the one thing that God's asking you to do in the area of obedience? What is he asking you to do? So what do we have to do from, to go from obedience to blessing? One, we got to know that tithing is non-negotiable. Two, we have to steward our finances. And three, we have to give beyond ourselves. I'm going to have the worship team come up and just sing two lines of that last song. And then we're going to close out. The presence of God is here. Use this opportunity to have God speak to you. What in this moment is God asking you to be obedient about? We'll sing a few lines, we'll pray, and we'll end the day. But let's go after God like never before. Hey.